Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 41, Elizabeth I, The War of the Austrian Succession and the Seven Years' War. Two notes before I go on. First off, I want to say that I'll be making an announcement at the end of this podcast about what I have plans for my first anniversary uh, podcast next month. It's kind of a little special. Uh, the second one is on a sad note. Uh, I'd like to send out my condolences to Bob Packett uh, from the History According to Bob. Uh, some of you may know, I consider Bob to be kind of my, my podcast father. You know, he's part of the inspiration of why I do this podcast is because of what he did, along with uh, Mike Duncan from the History of Rome. Uh, Bob lost his uh, wife, Ruth, uh, to pneumonia this past weekend, and she had done a lot to help promote and to, to put out the history of according to Bob. And so I'd like to really send my condolences to the Packet family, to Bob, and uh, please give prayers to uh, his wife, Ruth. Now back to the show. Last week, Elizabeth I, daughter of Peter the Great, took control of the Russian Empire. Her lavish spending was over the top, setting the stage for the Romanov Tsar's behavior for centuries to come. Ivan VI, her cousin, was imprisoned at the fortress of Schlüsselburg as a non-person to prevent anyone from using him as a figurehead to oust the Empress. Now, during Elizabeth's reign, two wars were being fought by the European powers all over the world. The first, the War of the Austrian Succession, was fought from 1740 to 1748, and was one that the Empress had inherited. The belligerents were, on the Russian side, the Dutch, Great Britain, Hanover, the Habsburgs of Austria, Sardinia, and towards the later half of the war, Saxony. The other side consisted of Prussia, Spain, France, Bavaria, Naples and Sicily, Genoa, Sweden, and in the beginning, Saxony. We generally think of World War I being fought in the early, early uh, 20th century as the First World War, but that is, in my humble opinion, a historical inaccuracy, as both this war and the ensuing Seven Years' War were fought on multiple continents by almost all the world's great powers of the time, along with their allies. Now, if we take the casualties of war as a sign of their global nature, then these two wars qualify as well, as over two million people were estimated to have perished in the conflicts, great many of them being German. Some estimates claim that some cities within Germany and Prussia and Austria lost up to 90% of their population and inhabitants. This was a time of global upheaval, and Russia, along with Elizabeth, was in the thick of it. We want to kind of look and take a step back now and you know, kind of look at it from an 80,000-foot perspective. In 1700, Russia was considered an oriental backwater, unable to control the Turkic Tatar remains of the Mongol horde. Peter I had pulled his country out of the past and the east and transformed Russia into an international player that frightened her enemies, yet befuddled her allies. But there was one thing no one could deny. Russia was a giant that had to be dealt with on her terms. The War of Austrian Succession was basically a battle between the interests of France and Prussia against Great Britain and the Habsburgs over the succession of a new ruler of the Holy Roman Empire. 
The Habsburgs Charles VI had died, leaving his kingdom to his daughter Maria Theresa, who quickly succeeded him as Queen of Hungary, Croatia, and Bohemia, as well as Archduchess of Austria and Duchess of Parma. But she was not allowed to take the crown of the Holy Roman Empire because she was a woman. Her husband, though, was going to resolve that by taking the throne and serve as the figurehead ruler. The Prussians, led by Frederick the Great, allied with the Bourbons of France, led by Louis XV, to put forth their favorites for the crown. I could do an entire podcast or two on this war alone, but since this is the Russian Rulers podcast, I shall refrain. Now, as we mentioned last week, Alexei Bestyushev believed that Russia's natural allies were the British and the Austrians as he guided Elizabeth's hand and her army to their side. The Russians' participation in the war was relatively brief, from 1740 to 1743, when the Treaty of Abo was signed, taking both Russia and Sweden out of the picture, until Russia re-entered in 1748, which precipitated the signing of the Peace of Aix-la-Chapelle, also known as the Treaty of Aachen, on October 18th. Russia had flexed its muscle as an ally, but it had a bigger role ahead of it in the next war, which was inevitable given the outcome of the first. Much like the inevitability of World War II due to the unhappiness of the Germans who signed the Treaty of Versailles to end World War I, no one was truly happy with the peace of Aix-la-Chapelle. By 1756, the aforementioned Bestrusev had begun to lose influence in the court of Elizabeth, so much so that when the roll call of allies were drawn up for the ensuing Seven Years' War, Russia not only switched from being allied with Great Britain to France, but they now entertained a new strange bedfellow, Sweden. Aside from those, the others on the one side included the Habsburgs, Spain, and Saxony. The other side now had Prussia, Great Britain, Hanover, Brunswick-Wolfenbüttel, Portugal, Hesse-Kassel, Schaumburg-Lippe, and the Iroquois Confederacy in North America. This war was played out on an enormous stage, far greater than the previous conflict, with huge civilian and military casualties suffered on both sides. Now, the main belligerents were Great Britain and Prussia against France and the Austrian Habsburgs. Russia was by now growing concerned with Prussia's burgeoning power, mostly due to Frederick the Great's military brilliance. Again, I could do a month's worth of podcasts on this war, but I won't. By the time war broke out in 1756, Elizabeth's health was waning, but not her mission to expand Russia's influence and prestige. She was no doubt thrilled to have France as an ally, as she considered their culture to be the most advanced and genteel of all. Also, their system of government was most like that of Russia, with supreme power being held by the autocratic leader and not shared with a parliament like Great Britain. Frederick of Prussia was by all accounts a brilliant tactician, both politically and militarily. The one thing he did not have that the Elizabeth and her generals did was an overwhelming manpower advantage. Much like her father Peter, the Empress had little concern for the welfare of the fighting troops. She equipped them well, and they were well led, 
but there was no compunction from her with the common soldier dying for their country. She had more troops at her disposal than any other combatant did. As the years wore on, the Prussian case, or Prussian cause, was looking bleaker and bleaker. By 1759, the battle losses became severe. At Pazig, and especially Kunersdorf, the Prussian defeats were staggering. The reason for the losses was Frederick's underestimation of the strength and command of the Russian army, especially Count Saltikov, whose name we shall hear much more of in the future. Now, casualties mounted on both sides, but Frederick was beginning to despair, which Elizabeth truly enjoyed hearing as she despised the Prussian king. He was ready to give up and head into exile, as the Russians had already entered Berlin. Plans were underway for the Russians to expand their empire westward into Europe proper, as many in the court of Elizabeth had German blood in them, like young Peter, her heir, and his wife, Catherine of Anhalt-Zerbst, when suddenly Empress Elizabeth died. The new Tsar, Peter III, was a great admirer of Frederick, and with his ascension, with the Russians literally months away from being able to overrun all of Prussia, he ordered the Russian advance halted, and on February 25, 1762, he signed a peace treaty with Prussia, returning all of the previous five years of gains for nothing in return. Oh, how the map and history of Europe would have changed had Elizabeth lived. Tens of thousands of Russian lives were lost all for naught. Obviously, this did not make Peter a very popular man. But before we move on to the new Tsar, there are a few accomplishments of Elizabeth that we need to acknowledge. Aside from never signing a death warrant during her entire reign, she helped the Russian Orthodox Church greatly by refusing to secularize their lands, and she kept many national Russian traditions alive with, within the continuation of the westernization movement, though. She had the Winter Palace constructed, along with numerous other architectural marvels in St. Petersburg. She was also a patron of the arts and built an opera house and other theaters. The Empress Elizabeth was to go down in history as a good ruler, even with her opulent spending. Now her heir, he was a different story altogether. Born in Kiel, grandson of Peter the Great, Peter the Third was a little man, small of stature, thin and arrogant, but quite childlike in his behavior. He gave away so much to Frederick in the peace treaty, he was mistrusted and hated by the military, as you might imagine. He, as the Duke of Holstein-Gottrop, as well as Tsar of Russia, declared war on Denmark to try to regain some lost territory his homeland had lost earlier. He had the army ready to start the operation when he was deposed by his wife Catherine, in a plot we will uncover next week. In his short six-month rule, he did try to modernize the military, abolish the secret police, which was unfortunately or fortunately, restarted under his successor. He did put forth some major reforms, such as making it a crime to kill a serf, and he established laws allowing for greater religious freedom. Now, many members of the Russian Orthodox Church obviously despised him as he began the process not only of giving greater religious freedom, but also of secularizing the church lands, 
something that Elizabeth had refused to do. Now, no one can speculate how much further his reforms would have taken, but suffice it to say that he was a very weak man who had made many enemies during his brief reign and before, and it is likely he would have had a hard time staying in power anyway. Next week, we begin recounting the life of a remarkable woman, a figure as gigantic as Peter the Great, a woman who would embrace her adopted country and people, and who would expand her empire beyond anyone's wildest dreams. For the coming 34 years, Catherine II would rule and mold Russia. Now, what I find very fascinating is what makes her story so incredible and what we're going to be able to share is that we have her memoirs to read and to recount, and we can see how she saw things. So it's a great journey that we're going to be going on starting next week. But now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of March 13th through the 19th, in 1584, at the age of 54, Tsar Ivan IV of Russia died. In 1746, Anna Leopoldovna, regent of Russia, mother of Ivan VI, died in captivity. In 1747, Christian Augustus of Anhalt-Zerbst, father of Catherine II of Russia, also died. In 1844, the great Russian composer Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov was born. In 1881, Alexander II of Russia, the great reformer, is killed near his palace when a bomb is thrown at him. In 1917, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia abdicated the Russian throne and his brother, the Grand Duke, becomes Tsar. In 1938, Rudolf Nureyev, a great Russian-born dancer and choreographer, was born. In 1940, the Russo-Finnish Winter War ended. And in 1948, Soviet consultants left Yugoslavia in the first sign of a Tito-Stalin split. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I do have that announcement to make now. Next month, on Saturday, April 30th, will mark the one-year anniversary of the start of this podcast, and I'm going to be doing a two- or three-part series which will recount all the previous podcasts in a shorter version to catch us up on all the Russian rulers I've talked about up to Catherine the Great. Well, I hope everyone will enjoy that one as well. Now, don't forget to visit the website at russianrulers.podhoster.com or become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. And please leave a comment, make a suggestion, or ask a question. But as always, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.